Turn with me your copy of God's Word this morning. We're in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 will start in the, the 21st verse. Um, this past week, uh, I went to St. Louis to um, lay to rest my, my aunt who passed away a couple weeks ago. Um, so thank you for your calls and prayers and, and text messages and things of that nature. It's, it's just really good to be surrounded by family and, and loved ones. And as we know and probably have experienced um, in, in some shape, form, or fashion, unfortunately, a lot of us uh, primarily get together when there's something like this that happens in the family. Uh, I know I'm going to try to do a better job of of getting getting together because it's just been I mean just to, to, to be with family and, and reminisce and got to hang out with some of my cousins that I grew up with and we'd swap in stories and things of that nature so it was just really really heartwarming to be there and be surrounded by family what I noticed is and I always noticed this but it really hit me um, as we were in the funeral is that you know when somebody passes away it feels like everybody is Christian. You know, as the, the, the pastor is preaching and talking about uh, who God is and what he's done and he's sharing the gospel, um, everybody is amening and put their hands up and and, and everybody, uh, said, you know, when we talk about we're going to be able to see our loved one again in heaven, you know, it's those times like that where we all... Uh, come together and we feel as though, yeah, yeah, that's me too. I'm going to see her again uh, in heaven. But it, it hits me, especially as a pastor, to know uh, and we, we have this, this cultural Christianity going on and where we can empathize and sympathize. It, it makes us feel good to, to think that yes, we're also gonna go to heaven or our loved one is in heaven, we're gonna see each other again. But the reality is a lot of people don't live like that. They don't follow Christ in their everyday life and it's only in situations like this that they want to, to, to be in that group. Uh, the, the, the song says, I wanna be in that number when the saints come home. But that's not the reality. When you look at everyday life, and when you look at the things that you choose to do or choose not to do, you've got to ask the question, am I really a Christian? Do I really follow Christ? And I don't know. I mean, I'm not, not judging anybody or saying that people are or not. But it's a question that you have got to ask. If the only time you're thinking about Christ and you resonate with Christ's followers and you resonate with what Christ is doing or, or you put your hand up in a service, you've got to ask your question. Do I really follow Christ? Do I know who Christ is? And will I truly do what it takes to, to be with him? We have so many things that take up our time, that our mind space, that we put our money toward, that if you were to go, if you were to leave, something to happen to you right now, this moment, those things do not matter. Not a hill of beans. Amen. It doesn't matter. The, 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 the preparation you gotta do for work on Monday, it doesn't matter. 
The test you got to study for, it doesn't matter. We're, people are not playing golf today, but if you've been going on a golf course, right? It does not matter if, if you were to lose your life right now at this moment. You got to be thinking about what matters. And the only thing that matters, the only person that matters is Jesus Christ. You've got to make a choice. And I talk about this, we live in this Amazon Prime world, but what we have to look forward to is, is hope for forever and eternity. Your, 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 the things that you do right now that give you pleasure is momentary and is gone like that. But when you leave this life, eternity is a really long time. Choose today who you will serve. Man, it took everything in me. I wasn't on the program. I didn't need to be on the program. But I'm like, these people need to hear the gospel. I want to be sure that if you're raising your hand in the air, you know what you're raising your hand for. That's just a preacher in me. Because I care. I mean, this is my blood. Just like you are all my family. I care about you and I care about your souls. I don't want you to be fooling yourselves. Choose today who you will serve. And we live in this cultural Christianity world where, hey, I've been to church a couple times and I go on Christmas and Easter and all the kind of things and I know the name. I, I say God and I know Jesus and I know, hey, my grandmother believed, my, my cousin believed. Or, they, they can't believe for you. It is so important that we get this. So important. So I just, man, I just had to be in prayer. Like I said, I'm not questioning the salvation of anybody in my family. But I just want them to earnestly know who Jesus is. I want to make sure when I was saved, the deacon uh, pulled me to the side. He says, I want you to know that you 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 are saved. And that's what I want for you all. That's what I want for my family. I don't want there to be any, any questions or concerns. Somebody asks them what the gospel is and who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. I want them to be able to say, this is what Jesus Christ did for me. And be able to support it in scripture, not just some an emotional thing that happened one time when they were in church. That's what Paul does for us in Romans. He says, I want you to get this. It's not enough for you just to go around and regurgitate stuff that you heard. I want you to know well, without a shadow of a doubt who Jesus Christ is and what that means for you in your life. And that's what he hits us with in Romans. He, he goes over it. It can be repetitive, but he's like, no, I want to make sure that you know. He's like, no, no, Paul, I get it. Like, wait, wait. And I want to make sure you get it. Let's, let's go over this one more time. Romans is this primer of, of what the gospel is all about. He wants to ensure, just like I do, that people know who Jesus Christ is. And I believe this text this morning is one of the most important verses that we have in this very letter. The great reformer, Martin Luther, and said in this section, um, uh, when he's talking about this section of the text, he says, the chief point in the very central place of the epistle and of the whole body. That's how important he thought this was. 
Others have said this section are the central and heart of, of the book of Romans. And others have said possibly the most important single paragraph ever written or as the epicenter of Paul's gospel. That's how important this section is that we're going to talk about this morning. If you remember leading up to this, we, we got a ton of bad news. Paul talks about how sinful we are and, and how this sinfulness uh, leads us to God's condemnation. But after hearing all that, um, I appreciate that you came back anyway. I said last week, I was like, this is not going to be a motivational speak. This is not going to be a flowery talk. So I appreciate you all coming back anyway. Because I got good news. There is good news in the message here this morning. In fact, Paul gives us wonderful news. As we stand guilty and condemned by a holy God, there is a way for us to be declared not guilty. And this is by putting our trust in Jesus Christ. Now, when you put your trust in Jesus, you, you put your full confidence in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And he makes you right with God. And because of his finished work on the cross, you are empowered to live um, in the way that he's taught you through his word. So it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what your background looks like. Your past behavior doesn't matter because you're covered by the blood of Jesus. Once you look at your copy of God's word, we're going to be starting in Romans 3, starting in, in uh, verse 21, Romans 3 and 21. I want you to first notice here in verse 21, it starts with two words. It says, but now. I'm going to start right there. But now. Paul has already laid out a laundry list of how depraved humanity is. But now. He gives us hope by these just two words just laying it out there. He's like, this, this, is, this is how bad and, and wretched a person you are. But now. Man. God has done something special for his people. God has stepped in to rescue uh, us from his wrath. And that's why we say we have good news. Ephesians 2 and 13 says this in a, in a similar way. It starts off, uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who uh, once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Man. That's good news. Colossians 1 and 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Brothers and sisters, that's good news. I love this shift in the text because it mirrors our own reality, doesn't it? We were one way, but now, after we have experienced Christ and his love for us. We did all these things in our lives, but now, <laughs> you get this? 
Maybe it's just me that gets excited by this. Romans 3 and 11, Paul goes through this litany of things. He says, no one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside and together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They have used their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In the past are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's damning. That's, that's where we are. That's where we came from. This is what we were prior to meeting Christ. Paul knows this as good as anybody. How he persecuted the Christians. But now, on the road to Damascus, he encountered Christ, the risen Savior. We have to remember how messed up we were. How, how we were worthless and, and just foul. But now, Christ intervenes. Jesus' finished work on the cross shifts history forever. That, that act of him giving up his life on the cross. And this is why we say it's good news. Because him giving up his life on the cross, the life, death, and resurrection, and ascension of Christ changed everything. It was horrible and wretched and, and all the things that are going bad in this world, but now... Christ came and gave up his life for those who would believe in him. Man. Apparently last week there was some, some game on TV or something that some of you watched. This, this football game. Sports ball. What would that game have been? What would it have been like if, if Patrick Mahomes, who is the MVP and quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, what would it have looked like if for some reason he was not on the same flight and got lost in the airport or something like that? What would it have been if he wasn't able to be at that game in the very beginning? What would it have been like if, if uh, they, I mean, they're going to play their heart out and do everything they could, but they didn't, weren't able to do so with their leader? What would that look like? Now imagine it's halftime and the Kansas City has been struggling the whole time and Patrick Mahomes comes in and he runs on the field. Imagine the roar that would take place in that stadium because their leader has made it to the game. Their star player, their quarterback, the one who controls all these plays, comes on the field. Imagine... What the, I mean, the, I can imagine that would just the stadium would erupt. These people were full of excitement, and that situation would be completely reversed. Now there will be hope so that they can come back and experience victory and win another Super Bowl like they did. Now, I'm a simple man. I like a simple story. But if you magnify that times infinity, and you consider the way Jesus changed our situation. Here we are, all of us, losers without hope. We're lost without any ability to find our own way. And then here comes Jesus. 
at exactly the right time to come and save the day, literally, so that we can have victory. Y'all don't get it. Oh my goodness. Just imagine this at exactly the right time. And it's because of him, not only do we not perish, but we have victory over death. That we get to be with him forever and eternity. That's good news. All right, we can pass those two words, but now. But if you were reading this on your own, it's easy just to read through it really quick. But those two words just pack a powerful punch. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You have to forgive me. Stay with me here this morning. We're going to get a little nerdy. We're going to break down some words. There's some important words in this passage that I need for you to get and hear and understand. Throughout the letter that Paul writes here, he uses terms like righteousness and justification. And it's used a lot even in this very text. But what does it mean to be righteous. I mean, we see this all throughout the Bible, and we know Abraham is credited as righteous, and, and all these things. It continues on from there, from the Old Testament to the New. Earlier, Paul even clearly states that none of us are righteous. So to be righteous, is, it means to be morally and justifiably right. So God has this, this standard of righteousness, and his standard of righteousness is perfection. Like it's, I mean, it's something that we can't even get. I can't, my arms aren't long enough to show you the, the standard and measure of the righteousness of God. He requires and expects a perfect attitude, a perfect behavior, a perfect in every attribute. That's his standard. That's God's standard. But obviously the standard is unattainable for you and me. It just is. Because it shows and it reflects our need for a Savior. Knowing that we can't live up to that standard, we, we need a, a help. We need, we need a boost. We need, we need somebody to do it for us because we can't do it on our own. And the only way is possible is through the cleansing of our sins by Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's how we can be righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, on the cross, Jesus exchanged our sin for his perfect righteousness so that when we stand before God one day, God sees Christ's holy righteousness instead of our own. This is why I want you to get this. Because just by you saying, I'm a Christian, just by you saying, well, I come to, to church every once in a while, or, or maybe I know a couple verses by heart, that, that doesn't get you anything. Unless you follow Christ and have submitted your life to him, 
That is the only way that you receive his righteousness. You can't do it on your own. There is none righteous, no, not one. You can't ride anybody's coattails. You've got to get this. So how do we become right with God? It is only through faith in Christ. That's how we get right. We're made righteous in the sight of God and accepted based on what Jesus has done. Not because of what you do. And then we have justification. Justification is when God declares us righteous. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology explains justification like this. He says, justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sin as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and therefore declares us to be righteous in his sight. So since Christ has paid the penalty for our sin on our behalf, then we are forgiven. Essentially, justification is, is like a not guilty verdict. So we stand before the judge and, and all the, the accounts are mentioned to us and all the ways that we have transgressed. But at the end of the day, the judge says, well, you've been acquitted. You, you've, you've been uh, take, taken care of. All the wages have been paid on your behalf because you are now righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done. 1 Peter 3 and 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Brothers and sisters, if you... If you place your faith in Jesus, God, God declares that you are forgiven. You're acquitted and put into a right relationship with God based on what Christ has done for you. Christ did this through his own sinful life. He did it through his death and he does it through his resurrection. So why do you need God's saving righteousness? Paul tells us in verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's as simple as that. Because we just simply don't measure up. We simply don't even choose to do what is right. For when we look at this this text it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God I, the, the Greek word here for all is, is pos and it means all it means everything it means completely every one of us falls short of God's glory and you might feel good about yourself but don't don't fool yourself you, uh, to me, you're, you're a good person. But it's not by my standard that you live. And that's a good thing. You simply can't measure up to God's glorious standard. Look again in verse 23 of Romans 3. It says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It's a lot of big words in that text. If you're anything like me, when I was growing and getting mature in my faith, and I was just like, I don't know what that word is, but I'm just going to keep reading. You skip over it. Maybe you looked it up and quickly forget it. So there's a word here, propitiation. Say it with me. Pro. Pro. Pish. Eation. Pro. Pish. Eation. Propitiation. Y'all are good. <laughs> now what does that mean? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of chuckles there. <laughs> Propitiation is the, the idea or of uh, the appeasement or satisfaction toward God. You say, well, why he just didn't say that? Why he just didn't say satisfaction? I don't know. But we need to know what propitiation means. It is the appeasing the wrath of God and being reconciled back to him. One of these churchy words that is good to know and understand when we read this, we really get what this means, what it looks like. Unlike other religions, there's no way for man to satisfy God's judgment except by spending eternity in hell. That's the only way that you and I would be able to satisfy his judgment because we're guilty, we're wrong in his sight. We, we fall short of his standard. So there's no service or no sacrifice. There's no gift that you can provide that makes you good. That gets you to uh, uh, satisfy the standard of God. There's nothing you can do, nothing you or I can offer that will appease the holy wrath of God or satisfy his perfect judgment. So the, the only propitiation or satisfaction that would be acceptable to God and reconcile man to back to him had to come from God himself. Because again, we couldn't do it on our own. So that's why he sent his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life that is everlasting. In order to have the propitiation or the satisfaction of God's wrath. Hebrews 2 and 17 says... Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. To offer some satisfaction for the sins of his people. So Christ bore this penalty of sin from God and paid the price on your behalf. That's what Christ did for us. Jesus satisfied uh, the, what was happening and he satisfied the just demands of the law. He bore the Father's wrath and reconciled believers to the Father. And that is good news. Let's go on. Verse 26 in Romans 3. 26 he says, It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but 
by law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, of, of the law or is God the God of the Jews only? Is, is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So as we read through this, and, and if all of this is, is true, and it is, by the way, it is true, how can any of us boast? I, I'll speak for me, left to my own devices and have any success in my life. And, like, see what I did? <laughs> look how, how great I am. Look, look at all the good things that I do. Look at how great of a person I am. It's just me, and I, I know you wouldn't do that. But when you look and understand who God is and what he's done for you, how gracious he's been to you, how could you boast knowing it didn't have nothing to do with you? But it was all about him. How could you boast in, in anything? Did, did, you, did you earn your salvation? Did you work for it? Are you righteous on your own? Or, or maybe did, did you consider your own self justified? It doesn't work that way. Here's a way I can tell when somebody gets the gospel. Somebody who gets the gospel, they take any opportunity they can to praise God. Somebody who gets the gospel understands that the greatest thing in the world has been given to them through, by grace through faith. They get it. They're like, well, this, all this stuff happened and God used me to do it. Praise be to God. It, God uses me despite myself. And if we look, look, look at Moses and, and, and God is telling him what to do, Moses is like, I, I can't even speak good. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to fumble it and mess it up. God uses him and his brother anyway so that he can get the glory. So people can see how big of a God that they served. These people who get the gospel, they find every opportunity to do that, to give glory to God. Not only that, but none of us are better than the other. None of us can say, well, I'm more sanctified than they are. Because uh, I do X, Y, Z, then I got more of God's favor than you do. It doesn't matter, the text says, if you're Jew, Jew, or, or Gentile. For us, it doesn't matter if you're, you're white or black. It doesn't matter if you're blonde or redhead. It doesn't matter if you're, you're tall or short, skinny or fat, American or Chinese. It doesn't matter. All of us are saved in the same way before God and are united by the gospel and bound by the blood of Jesus. All of us. We all stand on level ground when it comes to the cross. And therefore, we get to see that there is equality. There is equity because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Now, earlier I talked about how how Jesus changed everything. 
But not only did he change our vertical relationship, but he, God also changed our horizontal relationship with one another. And that's why I can call you brothers and sisters, right? Because if you follow Christ, if you, you, you call yourself a Christian and you're obedient to him and, and, and submitted your life to him, then, then we've all been adopted into his family. We are all heirs according to the kingdom. That's why I can call you brothers and sisters. Even though we come from different walks, different backgrounds, we're still united by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. While the world seeks to divide us and put us in separate boxes and pit us against each other, the gospel removes all of these barriers. It removes all these things that, that cause friction between one another. And it's because of his forgiveness that we are able to forgive. Yeah. It don't make sense to the world that we're able to do this. because, But it's only because of what Christ did that we're able to. While the world seeks to divide us and do all these things, the gospel uh, does its work so that we can be united. So as we, we go through this and we, we think about what Jesus has done for us on the cross and how we've been forgiven, you might say, well, hey, then I'm good, right? What do we need with the law? I should just rip that up and throw it away. Mm, no, I don't think so. We cannot do away with the law. Now, now that we understand salvation through faith, when we look at the law, now we can understand the Jewish religion better. We can understand the law better. We can understand why Abraham was chosen and why the law was given and why God worked patiently with Israel for just so long. Now we get a view as to how God is working through his people. And we'll get more into this next week when we start chapter 4 in the book of Romans. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I, I hope that you would consider your need for a Savior. Whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching us online, this is not something to take lightly. This is not something that can be satisfied by lip service. This takes a, a, a deep commitment when I say you submit your life to Christ, you, you, you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Christ. Yes, yes. And when I talk about love and how God loves us so much, people think, well, I can do whatever I want to do because God loves me and he's going to forgive me. But when you love someone, it changes how you act. It, it changes what you think. Because of your deep love for them. If, you, if you're married and you have a spouse and you never spend time with that spouse, do you really love them? If you don't do good things with them and for them, I have to question. If you treat them badly and abuse them, call them out their name, is that what love looks like? How can you say you love Jesus and you spend no time with him? How can you say you love Jesus and you use his name 
in vain. How can you say you love Jesus and you don't want to do, you don't want to be anything like him? You want to take advantage of what you think he's going to give you. What kind of relationship is that? If you're here today, I want you to hear this and how important it is to choose today who you will serve. You might say, well, I, I don't really get it. I don't understand. I, I, one day I will. You might not make it tomorrow. And it's too late. Well, I'm going to wait for a sign. I want to, I'm going to wait for, for Jesus to come and, and for him to show me. Here, here's your sign. I'm here. This is a word from the Lord. Choose him today. It is the, the, the best and most important thing you could do. The most important choice you can make in your life is to choose to follow Jesus. And I get it. It's not easy. But you're not meant to do it by yourself. Look at the people around us. We got folks that have been walking for the Lord for longer than I've been alive. And that's part of the good news. <laughs> that we're not meant to do this alone. That, uh, that the Lord has brought us together in a body of believers so that we might be able to encourage and support one another. So don't, don't, make, don't walk this alone. Don't try to figure it out yourself or try to just, just go through it. That's why we're here. That's why I'm here. That's why God has placed me here. That's why we have deacons and other saints here so that we can walk alongside you and help you to see what that looks like for you in your life. Don't leave here without making a decision or at least asking the question, what does it look like for me to follow Jesus in my life? And for you, the old school saints in the building, the folks that might be newer, still figuring it out, going along the way on your journey, there's some questions that you need to ask as well. If you're a Christ follower, um, know first and foremost that you can rest in his grace. That the price has been paid on your behalf. Know that you're covered by the blood of Jesus and can rejoice in his finished work on the cross. And then get to work. Don't keep it to yourself. Go and tell others about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. So they can have the same joy. They can have the same hope. They can also rejoice just like you do. Let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so great. And despite all the things that we've done in our lives and the way that we live it, how we get distracted on, uh, with things that are going on, thank you for this reminder for us to come back to you, to realize the work that you've done on our behalf so that we can have life. Help us not take for granted what you've done for us. Help us to earnestly realize what it looks like for us to follow Christ. And help us to do that every moment of every day, knowing that it's sometimes going to be unpopular, knowing it's going to be different from the way the world acts, the, 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 what the world says is okay and not. But give us 
comfort, give us confidence, give us strength so that we can live for you and do what you've called us to do. To accept your free gift and realize the magnitude of your love and help us to express that love to others. Help us to live for you. Looking forward to that day where we get to spend forever and eternity with you. That day where there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more struggle, no more strife. And as we think about making decisions here in this life, help us to weigh them against what we look forward to in eternity. Do I want this immediate satisfaction that may go against your word or do I want to uh, uh, stand firm and look forward to eternity with you and give us the strength to be able to follow you through it all. I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.